Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo. It's your favorite chefs, we hope. I'm Tom Douglas, chef owner of a few uh, restaurants here in downtown Seattle, including uh, Serious Takeout in Ballard at 52nd and 14th Northwest, uh, Serious Pie downtown, Dahlia Bakery downtown. Uh, this weekend, I'll be shucking oysters at Sea Town Restaurant uh, in the north end of the Pike Place Market area, which is like uh, we combine Sea Town, Etta's, and the Rub Shack all into one COVID-friendly restaurant. So, not friendly, COVID. So it's a sea shack. Yeah, it's a sea shack. Yeah, it's like going <laughs> to the boardwalk over. Like I grew up on the boardwalk in Rehoboth Beach area and Ocean City, Maryland, Ocean City, New Jersey, Wildwood, you know, Atlantic City, all those places. And the uh, Sea Town snack bar was developed within my head with that idea that blah 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 blah. Anyway, we got a big show, and I am joined by the chef in the small chapeau, petite, <laughs> petite chapeau. There we go. I got a new title, chef in the small chapeau. Yes, I for you Facebook, <laughs> Facebook Live over there. You can see that I um, forgot my hat this morning, and thank God I always have one in my trunk, just like my spare tire, and it looks like my spare tire on my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I'm Terry Rotero, chef in a hat and uh, owner of Luc in Madison Valley. Three weeks to go. Three weeks to go, uh, and you're you retired. Have, if you, yeah, <laughs> well, some are retired for a minute. Um, but yes, we have three weeks to go, so if you haven't made a reservation, well, hope you can find one, and uh, otherwise try your luck at the bar. Uh, what else can I say? Besides, I, it's summertime, and it's very exciting. There's fruits everywhere and fruits vegetables everywhere. everywhere. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the peak season corn in all of its glory. The owner of Mamun is going to be here. Uh, and uh, Anar and Ambar, I forget how many places they have now. Wasaf Harun is going to be here to talk about uh, uh, their heritage and how it affects the food. And then uh, in our second segment with them, we're going to talk about all their new spreads that are on the market. Super fun. Uh, we'll learn the origins, origins and the name of the concept that inspired 8-Row, a wonderful new restaurant over there in Green Lake. And uh, zucchini blossoms we're going to dive into because... I have this thing, you know, I'm not a big zucchini fan. I've actually kind of like it more than I used to, especially small ones. But uh, the blossoms, to me, uh, they're a conundrum because while they are beautiful, they really have no flavor. And so it, it all depends on what you put into them. So let's talk about that later in the show, about how to make zucchini blossoms work for you. We're going to start making you loving it. Yeah. Well, not just loving it, but how to, how to take them to their... Their highest, best use. And lastly, we're, of course, we're going to have our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. But, Pamela, is that true? I read that today is going to be a joke fest. What's it's, going uh, on? It's food puns. Oh, food oh, puns. Have we wow. have to guess them or what? <laughs> I'm going to give you a multiple choice unless you want to really uh, okay. be strong and try. All right. I'm, I'm a strong dude, just to let you know. <laughs> Pamela is our producer. She's here every week. And Sean, of course, uh, behind the camera and uh, technical adventures today okay taste of the week uh i'll jump right in i made some bison sloppy joes wow uh with ground bison I, i've uh, i'm part owner of a bison company you are <laughs> that is hilarious is there, is there anything you're not a part owner of <laughs> well i like to invest in people that are show a lot of promise yeah turns out not all that promise doesn't necessarily pay off <laughs> I like this. but i do like uh, i do like to invest in uh young you're a softy I just like enthusiastic people, and I like, you know, certain ideas. Of course, and of course. So this company is called Rome Free. You can find their uh, their jerky out in the market already. We, we sell it over at the Dahlia Bakery. But we're working on a few things uh, bison-related, including bison chili and bison pot roast. 
and I made some bison sloppy joes. You know, I was larding my freezer. I had about nine pounds extra of bison, ground bison that they had sent uh-huh. me to, to work with. My chili came out really good. My black bean bison chili, really good. Oh, black bean, good choice. Yeah, yeah. good choice. The black Ant- bean sounds delicious. Yeah. So chili based. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I made the sloppy joes. And then I am continuing. I always lard my freezer, but there's always the continuing effort to unlard the freezer. Of course, you use of up course. stuff that you can see the season coming back around and you haven't quite got to it yet. So right now I've got eight pints of, or half pints of uh, pepperonata. Oh, that nice. Are, were made in mm. September of 2020, so almost a year ago now. Right. And so I'm trying to use those up. So I mix my bison chili with my pepperonata. Mmm. Really good. That Just sounds delicious. Nice yeah. combo. And what really makes this is I use a trashy burger bun. You know, that soft kind of trashy. I was going to ask you what France kind of bread do you burger use? Bu- burger bun. Yeah, I like the one with the toasted Like very brioche, very, very well, yeah, light. Brioche is a generous term for, <laughs> for this. I, uh, More like white bread? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it was perfect. And I had two uh, bison sloppy joe sandwiches with uh, pepperonata for my dinner last night. So did you put butter on the on the bread? Of and course. And <laughs> toasted it, toasted it Yeah, of course. Toasted it hard. That What's your good. taste of the week, chef? It's going to be a salad. It's uh, cucumber, watermelon, haricot vert, just a few, black olives, and uh, actually niçoise olive, pitted, and, uh, which takes a long time. Yes. Because those olives are delicious, but the pit is bigger than the olive. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, feta cheese and uh, lots of basil. And it is quite essential um, summertime for lunch. And then if I had some grilled chicken, then I barbecued, uh, then I grilled on my barbecue. And so it had a nice, light, smoky flavor. Mm-hmm. Just cold, diced, a little bit of pieces of chicken in there, mm-hmm. a few pieces of chicken. That was scrumptious. It was yeah. nice. It's got a little smokiness, a little saltiness. Um, the olives bring a little, you know, je ne sais quoi, as they say in French. And, uh, and the basil everywhere, which is that summery Freshness, you know, all there. And Bright the, fragrance. The yeah. bite of the cucumber, the, the sweetness of the tomato. Oh, perfect balance. And then and the watermelon. So beautiful. The watermelon just bring that, like, oh, wow, this is cool. A little bit cool. of sweetness, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, uh, it was a salad I wanted to mention to the, to the listeners so they can make that at home because right now all these vegetables are on the market and easy to use. And my next one I want to quickly go on to. Well, we'll talk about it with zucchini blossom. Okay, we'll let's do that. I was uh, Pamela the other night had us over for dinner and made... What was that delicious skewer you made? I had a couple of them. Uh, uh, the lamb the la- kofta. Lamb kofta. So kofta. what is the spice that you use in that? Is- uh, cinnamon, coriander, and I had some mace and cumin. Right. And so wow. it's just ground lamb, and it's made into this nice... You know, when you take ground meat like that and kind of beat it a bit, it gets a little pasty. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It stays on your skewer a little bit better right. than just plain ground meat does. And so it was nice yeah. and pasty, and it was... Nicely grilled over charcoal. It's good smoky. But when you said that salad, I thought about that skewer. Oh, yeah, it would have been perfect. Oh, yeah, that would be perfect. Nice perfect. combination. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a rasselanut you made. Like almost like a Moroccan rasselanut. Yeah. It's yeah. nice, the spice. So all kinds of goodness going on in our kitchens. I hope you're enjoying the fruits of your labors, uh, picking out of the garden and, and enjoying all that Going to the farmer's market. Side note, the apples are starting to fall off the tree quite a bit. So uh, I need to pick those that's, apples. That's, it's too hot. Up next, it's uh, peak of the season corn. Let's uh, let's talk about how we're going to use our corn uh, that we're picking right now. I know we're picking at the farm. Is it up and it's pickable it's, yet on the west side? It's on the it's on the farmers market. I don't know if it's market, pickable, yeah. but it's on the farmers market. I bought so. some at the Ballard Market the other day. Delicious. 
Uh, okay, we'll be right back at the Hot Stove Society Radio Show, Cairo, 97.3 FM. We're here at the Hot Stove Society Show, taping down at uh, 4th and Virginia. They're in the second, uh, the second floor of the Hotel Andra, which and is under a lot of construction. Oh, my goodness. They're yes. remodeling like crazy here. And right across from this beautiful space you have, my friend, it's, uh, I've been there twice this week. Nice. In the last week. And, and you know, I was telling E.T., um, your, your partner, I was telling him, there is soul in this place. When you're, when you're walking into that place, it's so beautiful. It's got soul. Good. All, I think it's all the wood, the lighting, everything. It's beautiful. It's like it feels good to be there. So, yeah, you know, it's so funny to take what was a, in my mind a classic like the Dahlia, and then to completely—I mean, if you walked into a Serious Pie or Hot or a Dahlia Bakery today, remembering what the Dahlia looked like, you did going not like, look like that. You're going like, <laughs> wow, your head's spinning a little bit because it looks so different. Um, corn, Chef. Uh, I know in France you don't grow up eating corn on the cob like we do around here. Um, uh, but that's uh, you have changed your changed that in your oh, life and in your tremendously. Yeah, I mean, your... I, I'm a, I'm a big fan. You know, I'm a big fan of corn when it's in season. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really not for stringy corn or any of that frozen. Even the frozen corn. I mean, I put I put frozen corn if it's good corn into a chowder during the winter. But other than that, I'm a big fan of. Fresh corn in the summertime, and I'm also and then leave it alone. And I'm a big fan of grilling it. I just did that the other day. Um, you know the chicken I was talking earlier. Yeah, the talk, from, talk from the beginning of that grilling process. So what though. I did for so once, let me. I'm going to take you even further back. Where did you buy your corn, and what did you look for when you bought an ear of corn? Okay, I'll tell you about my corn at this famous uh, place I always go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> and then what were you looking for? I'm waiting for my the, check, by the way, if you're listening. When you saw the corn, what were you looking for? How did you pick the ear that you so, wanted? So I'm, I'm one of those guys who cheats for corn. I go into a store, and the first thing I do is I take the what, what in France we call the poupée, which means the doll. The corn. All I the mean, hair. The, the silk. All the hair, and yeah. I move down the silk to see if the corn is actually there, because sometimes... The first third of the top is not even there. It's not right, or it's, it's not. Oh, it's down. It's mature, like overripe. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the two. So I like to look at that. And I don't have a problem with that. I, I think I do the same thing. I think that's okay. And if you're some, if you're out there trying to buy corn, I would not worry about that. Or I would ask the produce manager, who's always around. Right. Can you open this up for me and do sure. a little bit so I can see if these ears are ready, like the way I like them. Correct. Right? And then and then I thumb, I push my thumb onto the the kernel. To make sure there is a give a little bit, because uh-huh. I don't want my corn to be bone dry, like super hard, and I don't want it to be mushed to the so point. So, if it's super hard, do you think it's unripe, or do you think it's overripe and starchy? I think it's totally dried out and starchy. Dried out and starchy. And okay. I think if it's too mush, it's because I don't know why, too wet, too uh, something happened to that corn. It's either overripe and you know too wet, or and but it's just not that good. I, I want that little give, but not too much of it. Mm-hmm. So I come home, I just take the, the green off, I take all the leaves off, I, I usually take all the hair off, and I s- put a little bit of butter, just a little bit, on top of the, uh, uh, the corn, I brush that butter over, salt and pepper, and that's it. Uh-huh. Before then, you grill it? Before I grill it, because what I did this time, the reason I did it like this, is because I did not, I used my grill, but I did not actually grill, I took my cast iron, I have a cast iron um, pan, cooking pan, that I use for vegetables or onion rings or whatever, when I grill them, because they fall through the grill. So I put that on the fire. Chef, Listen I'm, to me. I'm surprised. <laughs> I know, I know, you. I know. I put the musket, the musket down. I let it super, super hot. 
and then I put that corn on there for just a few minutes on each side. I rotated through the whole process, mm-hmm. and it gives a beautiful char on the outside of the corn. On the cast iron. On the cast iron, and then I but move you get no smoke then. Then I, no, no, hold on, I'm not finished. Just, so, hold on, Tom. Then I remove I'm just it. So disappointed I remove right the pan now. and I put the corn on the outside of my ring of the mm-hmm. grill, mm-hmm. and I put the lid on. So you get there the beautiful you go. char, That's and then you get light smoke because now I'm close the lid, and I definitely get my smoke like really quickly. It picks up the smoke, right? And then I still take it out when it's still very, very. Um, I don't cook it all the way. I just take just a few minutes. This process takes at the most four five, minutes, four or five minutes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Four minutes max, and I take them out, and then I touch the corn. If it's you know, I try a little bit, obviously, because I can. I'm the chef, so I can do that privilege. And if it's slightly under, I just cover it. If it's not, I just leave it like that, and then we eat it like this. That corn, two days later, shrunk off the, the kernel. The kernel taken off the cob, made into a salad with, again, haricot vert and olives. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so delicious. It was absolutely scrumptious because that smokiness was there like you were looking uh-huh. for. But that char on the corn... Made it so delicious. It's almost like caramelized sugar. I just don't get this, the two-step process. So you can get the char on a hot fire. You said your fire was hot. You can get the char for in two minutes on a hot yes. fire. Yes. The problem is uh, there is a few there is a few components. I was doing many other things with it, mainly ring of onions and vegetables. So I didn't want to be running around my grill and picking up everything going through okay. the grill. So All right, chef. It was a technique I was using for. Uh-huh. I've never done it like that before. But I was very happy the it way worked. it came out. Sounds perfect. Yeah. yeah, those, you know, I made some zucchini ring and, and uh, you know, or slice, I mean, and then did all that. It was so nice and easy to do. And sounds, it, was, it sounds delicious. I'm not arguing that. And by the way, that, 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 that pan, when it's on the fire, the minute you put your lid on, you get all that smokiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you know, it. it's there. Okay, I'm going to go back, to, for me, to back to the beginning, too. When I look for corn in a grocery store... I look for corn. I mean, it's not often the case where you find it where the silk is not kind of matted and gross. Right. But right. the less matted and gross it is, to me, the fresher it is. Correct. It is. And so I do the same with you. I kind of pull back that top uh, inch or two on the ear to make sure that I've got not only corn up to the top, but that it looks good. It's not right. full of worms or, or anything of that nature. When I take it home and I grill it, there's two ways that I do it. I'll, I'll take it and I'll pull that green husk back. And uh, get rid of all the hair, and mm-hmm. you know, every, there's a there's a hair for every kernel of corn. Oh. That's why it seems like there's so many hairs yes. on those things. Is every, that a, fa- a botanical that's a fact? fact. A botanical that's a fact. fact. I love learning it's a, that. It's a Tom Douglas fact. <laughs> Double check that, please. And so then I'll pull that hair out, and then I'll just put the green husk back on, and I'll roast it in the husk. And that when you see roasted corn at like a uh, um, at the carnivals or something right, like right, that. Right. They've been having it here in the Pike Place Market. They kind of pull that green back and they roast it in the husk, and that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. It's, it gives you a little bit more corn flavor. If I am making corn tamales, say, mm-hmm. I'll take that, and I'll be very careful taking my green husk off, and I'll save those, and I'll take the ear of corn, and I'll take a box grater, and I'll grate my corn right off the cob, all the way down to the cob, and grate it. And it comes off kind of, you know, wet and, and custardy, and uh, it's got milky, a lot of starch milky. in it, right? Cornstarch comes from yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah, got a lot yeah. of starch in it. So, And then I mix that into my masa harina, 
to make my corn tamale. So with fresh corn and masa harina mm. is how I kind of double up on my Makes corn Makes a flavor. nice tasty. It really does. Mm. And you can do anything. You can put a little bit of pasilla chili in there. You can do anything you want. You could stuff it with something like a piece of pepper jack cheese or, and then make your wrap your masa around that. But then I put it back in the green husk and then I steam it in the fresh husk oh. compared to those dried husks that you usually buy at the market. That is one of my favorite pain-in-the-butt dishes to make. That dish takes a lot of time. But it's very rewarding at the end of the day when no, you sit course, down to course. a plate full of fresh corn tamales. You get something that you never get with that dish. You know, tamales is that fresh corn thing. Yeah. You know, you don't, I mean, tamales never have that fresh corn flavor in there. It's as fresh as what you're doing. Well, it's is, just because it's a pain. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, of course. And, uh, yeah, so. And then one more thing. If you buy too much corn and you have corn in your refrigerator that's getting a few days old, Make a chowder, make a corn chowder, you know, sweat some onion, white sweating onions, add some fresh herb, and then put your corn kernel in there, and then put, put the, the corn uh, carbs, you know, with a little water, for cook that for like 30 minutes, uh-huh. you get a little stock, put that over your corn, and then reduce it down, and put that away in the freezer, and right. you're going to need it in October. <laughs> and corn freezes beautifully on its own, if you oh, just yeah. cut it off the cob and... Put it, put it in the freezer. Up next, uh, Rasha and Wasif Harun are going to be here. Uh, maybe maybe both, maybe just one. Uh, they hail from Syria and Lebanon and have a deep passion for sharing their culture with Seattle. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotero, the chef in the hat. And uh, we have some wonderful guests on. Some uh, guests that are from a part of the world and I really, really, really love the food. Uh-huh. I, just, I just love Persian food. I think it's, it's a beautiful part of the world that cherish all this. And, mm-hmm. mm. Well, we have Rasha and Wasif Harun here. They hail from Syria and Lebanon and have a deep passion for sharing their culture with Seattle. Uh, and so they call their company or their hallmark uh, Levantine Hospitality. And so we're going to find out more about that. Uh, Mom Noon is the most, uh, the, the restaurant I know the most up on the hill, uh, right across from Terra Plata and the new Starbucks Roastery. I guess it's not so new anymore. But welcome to the show, you both. Thank you. Hi, guys. We're happy to be here. Terry said Persian. Now, is that true? Well, um, uh, so uh, this is a restaurant. I'm half uh Persian, half ah. Syrian. So my mom is Iranian, and I grew up eating both both foods. And um, our neighbors were always uh, having Syrian food and Iranian food. So fun. It's my it's my side. <laughs> Axes of evil. <laughs> so, so tell us about the history of your your cuisine and bringing it to Seattle and why that was important to you and uh, all the different projects that you're working on. We're going to get into your new line of sauces in the next segment, but let's focus in on your history and, and what it means of uh, how you explain your history through food. Well, we'll be happy to. Uh, we're, you know, you know that we're both uh, not, not uh, had nothing to do with the restaurant business. Uh, I'm a techie by background. Uh, Russia took advantage of the fact that it was a Techie as a Microsoft widow and, and, and raised the kids and really helped uh, help keep a fantastic household. And then after many years of that, uh, we wanted to do a project together, and we kind of settled after a long time on on the idea of bringing our culture to to Seattle in a modern and progressive way. And we thought that uh, food was the, the best medium to do it in, uh, with. And um, and since uh, we both 
Syrian origin, but I grew up in Lebanon. Russia has, has the Persian background. We thought we could put together uh, a great uh, a representation across across the Levant. The Levant, by the way, means the the part of the world where the sun rises. It comes from French uh, live, uh, and that's a little bit of an Orientalist way of describing the Middle East. But uh, fortunately, it's a better description than saying Middle East or or other other terms that are much more political these days. And so that's sort of the nucleus of the idea. And then we proceeded to research and, and try to do our best, both on the on the, the recipe side and, and on the preparation and finding a location and so on. And uh, you know, we were fortunate. We actually got uh, great help from from the industry. You know, thanks to you, Tom. We we found their opening chef and and we and Thierry advice to to not do it, which is a really good case. <laughs> it makes you more cautious. <laughs> yeah, but we we open to really great reception, and we think we have something pretty special with with a, a, a kind of a modern uh, take on Levantine cuisine that still has very deep roots with it. And uh, yeah, and I don't like to call it fusion because it's not fusion, but um, it's more like a modern take. On the traditional cooking, yeah. mm-hmm. which is so, and we, we refer to it as hospitality rather than just cuisine, because the the way that food is consumed uh, in in that part of the world is, is primarily social. It's primarily a way of bringing people together, whether it's a, at a table at home or or gatherings uh, gatherings uh, at restaurants. And typically, the the best food in that part of the world comes from people's homes, not not from restaurants. So. It, it has automatically a, a very casual and, and relatively intimate feel to it. And, uh, so whenever you share a meal with someone, it's already something pretty special. Uh, and we wanted to bring that here as well. Uh, so the, the good news is that uh, that Seattle has uh, rewarded us very well, and, and they, people have noticed, and, and we're, we're incredibly fortunate to still be around today to, to, to keep doing it. What is the... Uh, Terry, I'm always... Uh curious about this because i always say to you know uh, i feel like american chefs have all this freedom to do whatever they want with food and sometimes more ethnic chefs or more ethnic um types of cuisine aren't given that freedom so right. what's what's grandma say about your food you know what i'm saying it's like when you mess with classic recipes in certain cultures you're messing with trouble right <laughs> uh and not that it matters you, you know i guess i'm just kind of saying esoterically it's like uh do Lebanese people or do Syrian people get what you're trying to do? Do they see, do they recognize how you're kind of modernizing it? You know, some people are critical, for sure. Even our mothers, when they come and visit, you know, they have, of course, their very strong opinions. <laughs> but we really feel like the world is, you know, not static and it's changing. And, um, I mean, we, we have the bounty of beautiful products in the Northwest. And lots of times we use these um, products like in season to um, to have the same preparation. So Brussels sprouts does, doesn't exist in the Middle East, but you know we have the fete dish that we make um, fete um, Brussels sprouts fete. It's delicious. So why not? You know, people who taste it first, they're like kind of surprised, but then eventually they're 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 you know, the, the taste or the base of the food is the same, but but we've kind of 
modernize it in that way of using, you know, things that we have here and not being stuck on just one way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But do you, but you agree the the elders don't always agree with the attempts to kind of make yes yes change yes, things. absolutely yeah. absolutely definitely there are people who react uh, by by saying well this is not quite traditional. Uh, but also on on the on the flip side is that the region is very famous for arguing about food all the time. Uh, you know, like for example, where did hummus originate, uh, and who has the best falafel? So that's that's not something that that we're going to escape, regardless. Even though we feel like we're we're doing a pretty good job evolving the food. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's true for every culture. Every culture does that, and every elderly in every culture will tell the young how they're not doing it right. They're mm-hmm. not. You know, holding on to the tradition, and I think it's it's a marvelous thing to be able to progress without destroying. You know, I think it's it's good, and you still have that that base. But yeah, you need to progress. You need to make it Seattle. You can't make it. I mean, you're not in Lebanon. You're you're in Seattle. You know, it's like you have to make it. So then, Absolutely. yeah, you have to right. And then the other thing I mentioned a little bit earlier, since really the best food in in the Levant comes from people's homes. And hasn't been expressed in in restaurant settings uh, as much. The typical Levantine restaurant is all about grilled meat and you know medley and so on. So really, it, uh, it's a it's a little bit more formulaic. That, that we we really have an opportunity to do something very different by focusing on what what's prepared at home and trying to bring it here in a way that 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 people find um, uh, you know, easy to easy to consume. Right. Yeah, it's. I remember, Terry, remember when the France went through its tumultuous time of moving away from the classic cuisine to Spock, well, yeah. became as Nouveau. Yeah, Nouvelle, like nouvelle the, the Cuisine. Frogwa yeah. Brothers, or who, who, who kind of started Rodeau that? and Michel Girard. George Michel Blanc Girard. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, that was, that was, was giant. Traumatic. That was dramatic. That was yeah. huge, huge, huge talk. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that kind of developed into something else, too. I mean, that became kind of like the bridge of, like, it went from one extreme to another, and then there was a bridge that was built where... Oh, things were okay after that. You know, it's like there was a there was a common ground, mm-hmm. which I think is is what you guys are doing. You know, it's very cool. So well, this is just to kind of round out the the background. But you know, one of the things we tried to do with Memnoon, uh, which was although many people advise us against, is to really bring a spectrum of the food, including street food. So we we had a we set up a window on the street uh, that on the sidewalk that would serve the menahish, the the bread that are typically consumed. Um, by, or made by three food vendors in Lebanon, Syria, and uh, the the really really nice thing about this that people again noticed, and we had an opportunity to to open a restaurant dedicated to that in the downtown area, and uh, a a variant that's focused on vegetarian and vegan uh, aspects of our cuisine. So really, the the great thing about our trip, our our journey so far, is that we really have been able to do a lot of a lot of work that through the from Seattle and uh, and uh, lovely guests and and you know, in some ways the Fine Foods Project is, is an extension of that. Well, we're going to get into that Fine Foods Project uh, when we come back. Uh, there's uh, five, if I remember right, five new uh, dips or sauce, not sauces, but dips uh, that we're going right. to talk about, and you know how to make a bread, maybe even homemade bread to go with it. Uh, and all the good things that are happening in the world of Leviton Foods. When we come back, Tom, Terry, the whole hot stove team here on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. We are back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen, continuing our conversation with Rasa and Wasa Parun. 
uh, from uh, Mom Noon Restaurants, uh, Mom Noon Fine Foods, uh, the Leviton Hospitality Concept, uh, you name it, uh, all sorts of things that they bring literally to the table. Uh, I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Hey, hey guys, let's talk about your new um, dip line that you have coming out, uh, Mom Noon Fine Foods, which includes Baba Ganoush, Hummus, Lebna, and Mahamara. 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 Tell us about uh, how this project got started. I know I've had these things in your restaurants, but you must be super excited to be bringing them to the grocery market. We're, we're beyond elated. Uh, um, thank, thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, the, the, the idea has been around for a long time. And the reason is that, uh, as you know, our food is very difficult to prepare, and it takes a long time. So our hummus takes, for example, two days or three days, depending on depending on the batch of chickpeas we start with. Uh, Baba Anush takes several hours at least, and in many many cases of eggplants to, to to go through and so on. So, and and in order to get them to perfect them, we we've kind of developed a a, a zen process. That, that we repeat pretty much every day, and we have been doing it for the last nine years at Mamnoon. And so, it, in a way, we were already set up to 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 make the to make these uh, dips uh, in in scale. Still, uh, still artisanal, but we were kind of ready to to, to package them and and have other people uh, put them on their shelves. But of course, you know, as, as you know, the being in the restaurant businesses. That there are so many things that are competing for your time and effort and so on. It really took the pandemic to to give, get us to focus to, to get a laser focus on on doing what was necessary from a licensing perspective and, and improving our our process and so on. And and actually, the the hardest part for us was to start the contact with the, the various markets to for, for them to to hope to have the product uh, on, on their shelves. And uh, the the most important part of this that the, not, is that during the pandemic, after uh, around the May time frame, uh, when it became uh, truly truly clear May last year uh, that that there's absolutely zero business, and even though the, the, the restrictions were about to be lifted to some degree, that that there was not no way to sustain our team, even though we were able to get some of the PPP funding, uh, the 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 funding. Uh, was a quandary uh, was actually a, a, a bit of an issue because it could only be used for human capital. It couldn't really be used for for anything else that would be you know more more uh, like we couldn't build use use it to build uh, barriers to improve isolation in our or we couldn't improve our HVAC system with it and so on. So the we really started thinking what could, what is the best use of human capital? How, how can we leverage this? Uh, funding and, and keep the team employed and do something that, that that we've been wanting to do for a long time, and you know all the pieces of the puzzle fit. And so, in in earnest, in May we started on this project uh, and we licensed uh, uh, ourselves to be able to produce basically uh, pretty much any of the Levantine dips as long as they're not meat based, uh, meat based products uh, and uh, sauces and. Uh, uh, salad dressings and so on. So that was a big accomplishment and it took us a long time, it took us about the November time frame to have to have the the credentials and so on. And uh, and then started the process of contacting markets and sampling and, you know, putting our 
putting our best foot forward and, uh, and, and having people try the product and see what, what they think. And so the, the, that was what, that was sort of how the project came about. Uh, in terms of, uh, the response has been just phenomenal. Um, we, uh, so the, the products are hummus, baba nuj, which is a charred eggplant, uh, with a tahini, uh, lemon, uh, some, some seasoning, um, muhammara, which is a crushed walnut and pepper paste spread with a, a really nice tangy finish with pomegranate molasses, and, uh, labne, which is strained yogurt, but we prepare it in a, uh, in a way where Blended with uh, dried mint and olive oil, with a little salt. It's very, very uh, refreshing and a great alternative to cream cheese, basically. And uh, then we, we make a, a very popular hot sauce called the hara sauce and a salad dressing, uh, which is a sushi salad dressing, uh, a very famous Lebanese salad dressing. It's typically prepared, uh, the salads are typically using either first green or a very fresh uh, young green with uh, pita chips. And then, of course, we make uh, our pita chips, which is uh, based on the bread that we make at, uh, at Memnon. So it's a nice little portfolio. Uh, we are looking at a couple of other types of similar products that do that based on, on the spawn. And uh, we, in November, we, we were in uh, small uh, but really selective markets like Leshai Market and Steiner. As a, as a, for testing purposes and, uh, really kind of out of the blue met market, uh, decided they want to do a trial with us in December. We did that during the month and in January, they rewarded us with orders across all their stores and we're slowly building up right now on it. Throughout this process, you know, obviously just keeping up with the, with the demand and, and, and doing everything is right because, you know, it's, it's a big responsibility to make this kind of, to make this product and have it be fresh and good and, and all that. But we had a number of internal philosophical discussions about how to scale this and what we need to do uh, moving forward. And, and uh, but a bit of a detour, we, we spent some time talking to uh, the industry term is co-packers or the basic companies that make food for under license or under mm-hmm. contract for, for, uh, for brands. And in the process, we were very, very disappointed. We realized that we can't simply, you know, hand off our recipes, even with oversight, to to co-packers and have them do anywhere near the, the right product. So we we took the the big uh, the big decision of uh, of you know, making sure that we we prepare all the foods ourselves, and uh, we'll scale it as much as we can until until the point where we no longer can, and then we will we'll figure out what happens next. Such a fun story, and there's so many people during the pandemic, uh, some people like yourselves, but even much smaller operators have done some somewhat similar things. Of They have an idea. They've had the time now to, uh, because of the pandemic, they had the time to kind of reach for their dreams, and uh, it's such a nice, nice treat. I must tell you, um, during the pandemic, that was the first thing that we grabbed off the shell at Met Market, and I, I have many of your containers in my house and the leads. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the guts to throw them away because I feel like I'm going to recycle them. But I'll tell you one thing, that, that hummus, oh, I'm sorry, that hummus is delish, absolutely delicious. No, it the is, best oh, one is, so kind. Yeah, thank but you. the Mahamara too is it, fabulous. And the oh. Baba Ganoush. Oh, the Baba Ganoush, all of it is delicious. Because, so you guys go big time. Yeah, I think, uh, once if I... It seems the baba ganoush seems to have more more lemon. It's the one of the most 
bright and, and clean ones I've ever had, and you just keep reaching for it. So, so I do have to kind of wrap this up because we're running out of time. So uh, that is true. If you, uh, Wasif or Russia, if you want to tell us again where people can buy your product before we get off the air, that would be great. Absolutely. So we're proud to be in all net markets uh, in the region, including Tacoma. We're trialing in, in, in 10 PCC stores right now. They're, they're, using, they're doing smaller quantities of uh, you can find us in uh, a number of the Whole Foods. Hopefully, we'll be picking up as well in Leshai Market, uh, both Ken's Market, Steiner, uh, Pacific Harvest is doing uh, something online as well. So we're we're hoping that within the next few weeks we'll have the majority of the local great stores uh, that are that are you know have, having our products in, in some capacity. All right, we have so to we have to end it there. I'm, I'm sorry, for, sorry about that. Uh, up next, David Nichols and Kate Willem are here to tell us about their new Pan-American Orchard Fair at 8 Row and their involvement with Ben's friend. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. My name is Tom Douglas. I'm happy to be here with my good pal, Chef Thierry. Absolutely. Thierry Rotero, the chef in the hat. The two, funky hat today. Two weeks in a row you've been back in studio after about um, six months off. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, Terry, we were so happy that you're here that we invited Chef David Nichols and GM Kate Willman here to join the celebration. They're from Eight Row in Green Lake. A new, I'm not sure how new, but a, a restaurant in Green Lake, fairly new. Uh, and they are participating with the... That they call Pan American Orchard Fair, and we're going to find out what that is. Hi, team. Welcome to Hi guys. the radio show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having us today. Tell us about yourselves. Tell us about the restaurant, what you're trying to do, and, and uh, the awesomeness that is Ben's Friends. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, we're actually celebrating our two-year anniversary um, August 20th, so still fairly new here. Um, a nice little pandemic anniversary. Pandemic, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a... Six months of uh, a great opening, and then kind of the wind was kind of taken out of our sails, unfortunately. But um, we've been trugging along and, um, you know, kind of coming out of it here slowly but surely. Um, yeah, we opened up um, almost two years ago um, in the Green Lake neighborhood. Um, we absolutely love that neighborhood, and the community has come out to support us huge. Um, and that's what's been kind of able to support us through these last, I guess, two years. Um, and Pan American Orchard Fair. So I grew up uh, in central Washington um, in the Wenatchee Cashmere area. Um, my parents are still active farmers. Um, they grew um, apples, cherries, and pears. And so um, when kind of conceptualizing this restaurant, um, we kind of wanted to really focus on the culture and cuisine of um, kind of central and south America, um, of the people kind of working the orchards and the people that we kind of grew up with. Um, I was very captured by the communities and the food of Central and Central America, um, all the spices and the, mm. just the whole community, kind of people coming together. Um, and so when we kind of thought of, of A-Row, we kind of wanted to kind of capture all of those flavors in the community of that. Um, and then also just utilizing the fresh and local produce of the Pacific Northwest and also Central Washington. Um, so we kind of think of Orchard Fair, tons of fruit, and so utilizing fruit um, from my parents' farm, um, utilizing um, produce from Central Washington, Alvarez Farms, the King's Garden, um, and this kind of putting it all together and kind of, you know, we kind of came up with a Pan-American 
I love it. I mean, I never I really thought about letting yeah, the influence was, of the workers take exactly. on some of the, what you become, what becomes second nature to you because you probably eat that kind of food through family meals or for picnics or whatever all the time. Exactly, and that's yeah. what we kind of did. And when we, you know, when we kind of first thought of eight row, like everyone wanted a, you know. You know, they needed a, um, what cuisine are you? We always yeah, wanted, like, I know. We just wanted to cook good food. Good food and yeah. now, when we were actually setting up, like, Google and Yelp, it's like you had to pick a cuisine. Right. And, uh, you know, and Pan American wasn't even on there. And it's like, well, what do we want to be? And so we just kind of came up with Pan American. It's kind of like no borders, pretty much, right? It's like right. all of America, pretty much. Um, and that's what we kind of are. It's like there's, everybody has... You know, there's everybody's is kind of coming together, and that's what kind of eight row is. Everybody's welcome. All these cuisines are kind of a melting pot of this kind of sort of thing, and so, um, and that's what we kind of do. Um, we've kind of hopefully kind of succeeded in that, and we're still kind of growing. You know, we're still kind of figuring it out, especially kind of coming after this pandemic. Um, and I think we've kind of well, have done a good job of kind of showcasing that cuisine so far. Kate, so, tell us about the restaurant itself. Our restaurant is on the northeast corner of beautiful Green Lake. Uh, we are right next to like Greg Cycle and the PCC over there. Oh yeah. We have a big, beautiful green space. Uh, we're very excited to have all these beautiful plants and flowers and really represent that, um, that orchard fair that David talked about inside our restaurant. We've got a great staff, many of whom are with us since day one. Uh, and so when we talk about family, we mean it in more ways than one. But yes, northeast corner of Green Lake. Awesome. And does your beverage program reflect the same thing, all those great orchard fruits that are coming out of the center part of our state right now? Definitely, definitely. We actually um, just put on a couple of different flights. Um, one of them is uh, a mix of fruit brandies, uh, eau de vies that are representing plums and apricots and all those great orchard fruits. And then our wine program is also, I mean, we think it's the best ever. Uh, <laughs> may, maybe y'all can let us know, but um, the wine program is also you know, meant to tell a story. It's meant to tell the story of uh, the many places that David has cooked, um, the many places that he and his family have traveled over the years. Um, we also want to represent a bunch of different um, small, family-owned, kind of working-oriented winemakers, right? People who get really intimate with their grapes, people who um, just love making wine the way that we love doing restaurants. And so the wine program um, is as representative of, of what we do as, as well. There's nothing unconscious there, right? No, but it's really cool because you live in a great state where there's a lot of wine, so you're never going to run out of ideas for that exactly, one. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. We had a, actually yesterday, so my brother puts on our, um, our wine program, actually, and um, yesterday um, um, our Mexican wine producer was actually in yesterday, and mm -hmm. Mexico's not known for their wine, but there's actually really good wine in Mexico, yep. just kind of about two and a half hours south of San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's Wine was growing there about in like the 1700s, and actually, um, this is a lot of those, Santa Maria Valley or something. Exactly, yeah. you know, like grapes from there kind of came up from to Napa. You know, those wines were originally um, first grown there, and then kind of came up from Napa, and so. There's some amazing grapes. Yeah, and they wine were they were there first. There. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, I love that you're supporting all the the locals and the, the local fruit and all the agriculture. It's just it's a awesome. absolutely. And I think that's like a, a huge part of it. And like what Kay was saying, also, it, it's a story we're trying to tell. You know, like growing up as um, a son of, of farmers, and I think it is, and I think um, that kind of is part of our whole story. It's um, you know, it's supporting local agriculture. Um, it's supporting the people that 
um, support us. Like during this whole pandemic, when things were really tough, we put on our CSA programs. Uh, we ran wine clubs that's supporting like the small local um, wine makers, the small local people that kind of help support the people that were struggling through the pandemic just like us as well and so yeah um, they need they need the support because they're small number they, one exactly and that's know. the only way they're going to get it is by having people like you promoting it in the city you know? exactly like, and um they are just they're more important than the people that are serving the food in our restaurants and um you know we we absolutely love the people that we are you know bringing them in and it is a story from know the farmer to the fishmongers to the people that we're kind of selling it to good for you all right when we come back uh, chef david nichols and, and general manager kate wilman of eight row in green lake uh, it's a restaurant in green lake going to talk about ben's friends a little organization that's uh, got some important work to do here in our restaurant business we are the hot stove society radio show and we're on cairo radio 97.3 fm And we're back. It's uh, a continued conversation with Chef David Nichols and General Manager Kate Wilman, and they are engaged, by the way, uh, from Eight Row Restaurant in Green Lake. And uh, before we go too much further, give us the exact address of this uh, restaurant. I know you said it's in Green Lake, but that's that's a kind of a windy little funny area. It is windy. So it's seven one zero two Woodlawn Avenue, Northeast. Seven, one, and what's a landmark? Where are you to the PCC, say? or We're right in the same complex as the PCC or right across the street from Greg's Cycle. Right. And you took that little space that was an Italian restaurant, is that right? Exactly, yeah, yes. Okay, I know exactly where you were. Yeah, I know too. I know why I haven't been there. I know where Greg's Cycle is. Everybody yeah. knows that. He's been there for a long or, time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we talked about the loveliness happening with Pan, Orchard, Pan American Orchard Foods. Uh, let's talk about Ben's Friends for a minute and why that's important to you and the uh, the situation uh, that you run here in the in the Seattle area. Yeah, thank you, Tom. So Ben's Friends was started uh, several years ago by a couple of restaurant folk on the East Coast, uh, down in Charleston, South Carolina, actually. Um, Steve Palmer and, and Mickey, Mickey Bax. Um, it's named after uh, a chef who um, actually took his own life, uh, named Ben. And it was because, you know, he really struggled. He struggled for many years with addiction. Um, like many of us, you know, just like very talented, very lively, um, very friendly. But when it came to his addiction, he didn't really feel like he had anywhere to go. Um, and some of the other, you know, therapy and, and 12-step programs, these just weren't working for him. And he felt very isolated in the industry itself and that nobody would understand, um, you know, what he was going through. Um, ironically, lots of us understand, right? And and Mickey and Steve knew him and it was just a such a tragic passing. And so... Uh, when, you know, after that happened, they, they wanted to start a group specifically for industry folks uh, and, and just people in the, in the food industry at large. And so it really began as a, a grassroots uh, kind of organization, not affiliated with any other group like, like AA or anything, but runs similarly, mutual support, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, um, they actually got connected with several other sober um, restaurant folk, whether it be a restaurateur, a GM, a chef, um, across the country. And all of these little Ben's Friends meetings started popping up around the country. Uh, when David and I were opening 8-Row, I remember he said to me, you know, there's this group, they meet, you know, whatever, like, we should open one when we open 8-Row. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And um, I have been sober now for eight and a half years, um, I was just congratulations. At, thank you. Thanks so much. Um, David is at about two and a half, I think. So we oh, actually two and a half exactly today. How exciting! <laughs> anyway, I know I have the dates in my head. Who's um, <laughs> But long story short, uh, we 
got some help um, from, there's a, a Ben's Friends Portland that's been going for a few years, and we got some help from them, from our friends on the East Coast, and we started this Seattle chapter uh, November 4th of 2019, right after our, our eight-row opening. And, um, you know, like everything else, this also changed with pandemic, right? We all had to shut down our live meetings in March, and uh, at that time, we went onto Zoom, like everybody. And what happened then is, instead of just being separate grassroots meetings, we actually all went national, and everybody could join everybody's other meetings, and it became just such a bigger uh, influence on the industry. So this is something that for years, and I know you could, you know, both talk to this, um, for years has just been kind of hush-hush in our industry, right? It's right. something that people didn't want to talk about. We're surrounded by booze. We're very lively, creative people. And so to, to talk about having a struggle with alcohol or having a struggle with, with stress and mental health or, or with drugs, um, whatever the story is, lots of people are struggling and lots of people were struggling. And Ben's Friends is a place where we can come together and not just connect on this like, hey, I'm struggling with drinking, hey, I'm struggling with stress, but also I know you because you've worked in kitchens as right. long as I have. And we, we know things about each other that kind of make us intimate with each other and make us trust each other right away. And, and then we feel support also in our workplaces, right? And so it's been um, just an incredible, incredible piece of my recovery over the last two years. Um, it's certainly something that that David and I have shared and, and, and something that um, I, I just, I can't imagine living without at this point. Well, yeah. it sounds like a fantastic idea because our industry definitely needs help. Um, and I think uh, another thing to touch on, I think the, the one of the, the components of our, of, of our industry is and the people go out with the people from the industry because whether you go when it's 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. and you finish work and you're totally stressed out, you, you finish a long stress day, whether you, you don't, you don't go and meet somebody who works in an office because they're already in bed and asleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what do you do? You keep going, right? You go with the same people, with the same. So it's, you never really get out of the pool. And that's what's so important. And I think it's great to have a program that's within the same industry, within the, for the same people. So the line is easier to cross in terms of trust. I think it's easier to, you know, you know that the people at least will know, understand where you're coming from in terms of wanting to help. So. Absolutely. It's good. Very congratulations to you guys. Thank you. And I think that's a great thing also about Ben's friends also is that, um, you know, it's, it's and what we want to do also and what I want to do, and I think um, it's, it's t it is talking about it, and we appreciate being able to come on here today and, and to be able to talk about that too. And um, it's about alcoholism. It's about drug use. And it's about mental health also. And I think the, the best thing to do is to talk about it, right? And um, whether it's in the hospitality industry or any industry or um and it becomes more prevalent also is it, it is okay to talk about it and i of think course. that's what it is okay for ben's friends um it's a safe place to talk about it in the industry if people are are struggling um it's okay and i think when i first started a row um i wanted to be a different chef i wanted to be a different owner and to have a have a restaurant that was a little bit different than other places i had seen or worked at um and for you guys also, when I first was coming up, I knew of you guys, and I, I, I saw restaurants and restaurant tours that I looked up to. You two were one of them. You know, I remember you know, reading magazines and seeing you guys and emulating chefs that I like, looked up to, and that's what I wanted when I was a chef, and I, I owned a restaurant. How can I be a better chef, a better restaurant tour? And, and Ben's Friends is one of those things that I could give back to the industry and how I could become a better leader in this industry, and I think that's 
the direction I think this industry needs to go. It's about talking about these difficult things that have, you know, have kind of gone down a little bit of wrong path. You kind of read about these things in the, in the newspapers, whether about it's harassment or um, all this other stuff that kind of leaves a bad mark on this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not. This industry has brought me and Kate so much happiness and joy and it's our livelihood, and right. you too as well, right? And um, it's just an amazing thing. But um, there are stressors. There are things that kind of that come up. And I think, um, you know, Ben's Friends is here to help people that are struggling. Um, and we are just so grateful that, um, you know, we have a, a place that people are able to come to and um, to well, help I, each other. I think, uh, yeah, it's just our industry really does need that help. I know... Right. Uh, over the last 10 years, especially when Pamela joined our company, I became much more aware of what a knucklehead oaf I was sometimes, you know, it's like just, just stupid stuff, you know, that I'm much more, more aware of now. And it's, it's awesome that you're participating in this. I was surprised to hear you say that the Zoom was uh, actually took you to a different place and a, a good place because I would have thought that intimacy of the local meetings would, would be lost on Zoom, but not, huh? It certainly wasn't, and I, the metaphor I like is, you know, if, if you go to a theater and watch a great movie, like, it's great. You're in the theater, you're, you're there, right, and you feel everything. But if you, you could still get a, a really good movie watching it at home, right? right? It's still a great movie, and that's kind of the, the Zoom thing for us. I think, yeah, alternative to, to folks who, who lost, you know, their, their school classes and their work meetings and stuff, that intimacy was there for us because, whoa, all of a sudden it's not just these folks in Seattle restaurant industry that I can identify with. And become friends with it's people all over the country and now we have friends david and i you know both lived and worked in new york for a long time so we've got friends on the east coast already but now we have friends everywhere right. in this country who are sober who are restaurateurs we get to go to their restaurants and support them um and just and spread this message and yeah and i think therapy the, the number one therapy point is let's talk about it let's bring it to the table it's okay we we understand it exists we're not trying to hide it. We're trying to talk about it and solve it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. All right, yeah. get out there and visit the uh, Eight Row Restaurant over in Green Lake, right by the PCC, and, and uh, support what they're trying to do over there with Ben's friends. Up next, uh, Terry. Uh, everyone loves zucchini. Unfortunately, there's a lot of it right now, uh, <laughs> and so what's uh, what's some ideas on how to get rid of zucchini? Is to eat the blossoms first, then they can't grow. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stuff Society, 97.3 FM. It's so nice to have you with us today. This is uh, Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. You're in the middle of the Hot Stove Society kitchen show. We're thankful that you're with us and that hopefully you're in your garden. We're getting a little bit of uh, moisture in the air for the first time in quite a while. Hopefully you're driving, you're I do believe, listening to us on podcasts while you're running on your treadmill. I do believe I read it was 0.1 inch. I'm like, I don't know how, the, how did they even measure the one that. One hundredth of an inch. <laughs> yeah. was, finally, we had measurable rainfall. Yeah. Uh, okay, Terry, uh, as you know, uh, I'm, I'm a hit or miss on zucchini. And uh, when I do have them, I like them, uh, the small ones, and I like them super charred on the charcoal grill. So that they don't taste like zucchini, which have very little taste, but they taste like a nice caramelized vegetable. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that we could get rid of some of the zucchini, now I know that the blossoms are at the end of the vegetable, so Correct. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but is there a way to get it so that you pick the blossom before the zucchini itself grows? I think there is. Right? Absolutely. You have to get it pretty young. Absolutely, yeah. but you know, it's also good to have both of them. I mean, you can pick the whole yeah. thing and... 
you make one item and, and you make the other one different. Yeah, you do your zucchini one way and then garnish with right. it. So let's talk about the blossoms because they're a big deal in restaurants. Right. Yeah, but I, I think that they lack flavor, so they kind of... They it's a vessel. are more of a, a beauty. It's more of a vessel, right? Yeah, it's a vessel. Or it's a not a cheese or whatever it is you're stuffing it with. You know, and people would argue that, you know, you can fry, like very Italian style, it's, you fry the, the flour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what you're testing is the batter that you're frying. You know, you're yeah, not really testing, you're not testing the, uh, the zucchini blossom itself doesn't have a lot of flavor. So um, the frying works for most people. I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, light goat cheese and... A mushroom and everything, and put that into the the flour, and then how do you how do you lighten up your goat cheese for, so, the, for your blossom? Just a little bit of cream mm-hmm. into my goat cheese. That's it. That's all I do. Is I take the goat cheese, I crumble it into a bowl, I put a little bit of cream, cream, heavy whipping cream, and I mix gently the whole thing together. Usually, I had chopped shallots, and I put uh, chives, and saute some mushroom on the side. Then I dice, uh-huh. and I could cut them in small pieces. And then I saute them, and then I cool them off, and then I mix that with the goat cheese and put that into the flour. I take a spoon. Now, you take a spoon or do you I, take a piping bag? Well, I take a piping bag most of the time, but you can all, I'm just thinking of the people at home who don't have a piping bag. Mm-hmm. Just take a small spoon, a, a teaspoon, and then push with your thumb into the flour, into the blossom. Now, the blossoms work great if it's, by, if it's just raw by itself, but it also works really well if you blanch them. Now, blanching zucchini blossom, I, Ooh, that's a, that's I used to do that You're at Rovers for hard. many years. Yeah, it's that's very, hard. It's hard. It's a one second yeah. in hot water and then put it into a cold water. What's your obviously. point? I don't get it. Well, because it's very pliable, so you can shape it really nicely and close it really nicely like a little purse. Well, it's, the reason you could close it because it's all soggy now. Well, no, 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 it's not because you take it out of the water and you put it on paper towel and it drains out. And then you take the flour and you gently open it up. And then I used to stuff it with a zucchini. Mm-hmm. I used to make a zucchini puree mousse, mm-hmm. finish with breadcrumb and everything, and put that in there, mm-hmm. close it really nicely, and bake it in the oven with olive oil for a few minutes, and then serve that as an appetizer on a bed of just tomato salad, just diced tomato, a little bit of balsamic vinegar, olive oil, salt, pepper, that's it. Mm-hmm. Put that on the floor of the plate, and then put the zucchini baked zucchini blossom on top. And that was really delicious of an appetizer. So if you're out in your garden and you're looking for blossoms that are more stuffable, mm-hmm. so you want one that's actually been blossomed out a bit, right? Correct. You like it when they're yellow or orangish and right. that's all good. I like to cut the stem with two or three inches of the, the stem still on it. Correct. It's easier to handle. Right. And it looks really pretty in the presentation. Yeah. One of the ways that we use them in our restaurants is in serious pie, oddly enough. And again, they don't add a lot of flavor, but they're pretty. We, sh- we tear them and put them on top of a freshly baked pizza. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so they're not cooked. It's At the like last a, minute. Yeah, it's more like a salad on top. It's a blossom salad mm-hmm. on top of the pizza. Yeah, that sounds delicious. I mean, it's, again, that's a great way to use it if you're making a, just a simple salad. You know, you use some lettuces from your garden or from the market. Mm-hmm. And then you tear that apart, and then you take your zucchini blossoms, and you tear them into your salad, along with some maybe some nasturtiums and some other veg- other uh, blossom from the garden, uh, Johnny jump ups and stuff like that, and chive blossoms. Put all that into your green salad, so you have a very summery, great-looking salad with the zucchini flower in there. But again, it's not a, hol- a hell of a flavor. It's not a lot of flavor. Uh, the zucchini itself. Even the zucchini itself doesn't have a lot of flavor, so the blossom is not really imposing flavor. 
I think I think rose petals. I think nasturtiums have much more flavor than uh, zucchini flavor, uh, blossom. But but they're great, and they're, they're, this is a time of the year where you you play with that. You have a, a really couple do. weeks. Yeah. You have a couple weeks to play with it. You know, if you've never done it, it's a great thing to do. I also um, make like a little, you could make a little chutney. Um, right now, there's great blackberries on the market. You could make a nice blackberry and um, onions. You know, make a nice quick cooked chutney. Cool it down and then put that in the blossom and serve that with cheese. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a, a cheese garnish to your on your cheese tray. You put your fl- your blossom stuff to the chutney and you put your nice uh, sheep cheese next to it. You know, a blue, uh, a nice blue next to it. That would be a nice little garnish to it. So, the, it's another um, way. You, when you said rose, it reminds me. If you have a rose bush where you get beautiful roses, as long as you're not putting in, uh, insecticides on them or yeah, yeah, yeah. some sort of anything like that, if they're an organic rose bush, those flowers, uh, you know, when you smell a great rose, that is typically a good eating rose. Of as course. long as you haven't put some spray on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like the first guy I ever had that um, used those uh, that I was aware of was Matt Dillon. And oh, yeah. he came to do one of our... A chef series at the summer camps, uh, the culinary summer camps, and mm-hmm. he did this beautiful pickled rose petal right. on a beet salad. So he had this gorgeous, you know, red beet salad, and then these pickled pink roses on top. It was so good, and I, I've been using that concept ever since on a rose. Yeah, and it doesn't take long. You just you just oh, yeah, rice a, vinegar, you know, quick, yeah, very quick. quick, and you put them put it right over top of the rose petals that are picked, and then just put a weight on it so that they stay in there because they want to float to the top, right? right. So. Uh, and then you can garnish any sort of little salad with these vinegary little rose petals. Yeah. No, no. I mean, the roses, I've used roses for many, many, many years in, in garnishes and into salads. Um, again, nostrichum is also another one. The, what I like about nostrichum is it has a lot of personality, you know, pepperiness, Pepper, yeah. you know, and all that. Color. Um, there is also um, corn, blue corn flour. You know, we use a lot of those as well because I have a lot in my backyard. And bronze fennel. Um, also, pollen, bronze fennel, which is really delicious. Very sweet, but very nice, light anise flavor in the background. So all those components together, rose blossom and all that. Arugula blossoms. Arugula blossoms, you know, very so flavorful. flavorful. yeah. So all, all that mixed with your zucchini uh, blossom this time of year. It's delicious sage blossom. Also add great flavor. It's a good one to add around. But for the zucchini this week, by the way, I, I was going to tell you that at the taste of the week, but I'll say it now. I took some zucchini, just regular, about six inch slicing bias, about half an inch thick, and I grilled those on the barbecue. And then I made uh, kind of like a chomula idea, where it's like a bunch of fresh herb from the garden. Grind those with a little bit of garlic, um, a little bit of um, chili crisp (laughs) put in there, and uh, olive oil, salt, pepper, and then put all that on top of the zucchini uh, just as they came out of the grill. Mm And then let it sit on the platter like this, and then eat that. You with serve it. that room temperature, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Let I, I, I let it sit. Let, let it sit so it marinates together, and then serve that like maybe thirty minutes later. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like escabiche in a way, where you cook your yeah, fish, yeah. right? And then yeah. you just let it sit in. You just let it sit, and, and it, um, you know, the, that flavor again pregnates the. Oh, there's a little lemon too in the in the um, herbs, so it goes straight into the zucchini that's grilled. So it's got that smokiness, still crunchy. You know, it's not it's not cooked all the way, and oh. Yeah, and zucchini is a little bit like tofu, right? It kind of takes yeah. on the flavors that you add to it. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's a it's a very high water uh, content vegetable, so it takes any flavor you give it. So, 
It's good. I like zucchini. It's a good time of the year to have them. So, I, so I like do you, do you like zucchini day, now? A day a year is when I eat zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> National Zucchini <laughs> National Day. Zucchini Let's day. celebrate. Uh, do we have enough time? Uh, where are we at? We have one minute. Uh, tell people what a great little, if you're going to fry your zucchini blossoms, I just use cornstarch and, and uh, club soda. That's all yep. I do. And I just make the lightest little uh, tempura type. Uh, and then fry batter form. You can use, you use you can use beer too, it, um, cornstarch and beer. Uh-huh. That makes also a good flavor to the zucchini. It brings a little bitterness, especially if you use an IPA. Mm-hmm. You add some bitterness to your zucchini, and you could use, use a nice dipping sauce like an aioli kind of idea, mayonnaise kind of yeah. kind of dipping sauce. It's really tasty. Cook them, uh, peanut oil or corn oil or something, yeah. and uh, give them a quick fry. They don't take long. Don't leave them in there. Oh yeah. Up next, it's time for Rub with Love's Food for Thought Tasty Food Puns. <laughs> food Puns. Yay. Turns out Pamela hates trivia, so she's going to make us listen to her jokes. Yeah. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. It's time for Rub with Love Food for Thought Tasty Foodie jokes on Cairo Radio. My name's Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And the Rub with Love spice blends are made in small batches at our warehouse, in my warehouse in Ballard, Washington. They were created to give home cooks a helpful tool for building flavors and inspiring creativity. You can mix and match each one of the uh, rubs effortlessly beyond the recipes that are on the jars. And go crazy and let us know what you create. We have a website, I believe. Uh, look for them in your local grocery store, Bartels, uh, online, TomDouglas.com, Amazon, any place that you shop. Hopefully, they have our Rub with Love product line. Pamela, tell us uh, the, the name of the game today and who our winner is going to be. Rub with Love Foodie Jokes. We're testing your food pun capabilities. Eric Tanaka, Tom's partner, is going to join Tom and Terry, and I'm going to torture the three of them with some food questions the loser has to pay for the shipping of the prize today which is from our friend carol the redwood love manager the classics salmon chicken and steak and it's going to our friend terry benson who is so excited and listening right along with us this morning good i'm going to give two examples with answers um so you get the cadence of these food puns did you hear about the vegetarian who died during dinner police are calling it a homicide (laughs) (laughs) can i tell you a vegan joke i promise it won't be cheesy those are tremendous right what about cashew cheese (laughs) tremendous tremendous all right first one what did one plate say to the other don't break my heart. <laughs> Dinner is on me tonight. <laughs> so I got, I'm minus one. Okay. All right. Two hour show, correct? What yeah. do you call a fake noodle? A faux noodle. A pho. Close. An impasta. Well, I think oh. faux noodle is pretty good. Yeah. I would give All that right. to Chef. Eric gets that one. Faux noodle is totally Why good. did the tomato... Blush. Why did the tomato blush? Because um, it, because it, it was pasty. It was embarrassed. Because it was pasty. Because it was, uh, it was without its skin. Because it was, uh, oh, I don't know. Because uh, it's red. No. Um, 
Because it saw the salad dressing. (laughs) (laughs) Holy Moses. All right. That is some far-fetched idea here. Why don't eggs tell jokes? They're all cracked up. Very close. Oh, yes. Wait, 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 wait. Because the yolk's on us. <laughs> yeah, that was it. In case they crack each other up. Eric oh, is oh. screaming into the lead. Wow. Yeah, it's not fair. He does have five-year-old children. I know. <laughs> that should be a penalty right there. Why did the orange go out with the prune? Orange go out with the prune. Because he wanted to concentrate. Pretty good. No, orange and plum. Prune. Prune, orange yeah. Orange and prune. Because he needed a relaxative. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because she couldn't find a date. Oh. oh yeah. Dang. This is going to be hard. He's <laughs> <laughs> already two up on it. I know. I know. He's, he's in the lead. Uh, why did the tofu cross the road? Why did the tofu? To get to the other side. Of yes, course. and? Because <laughs> he couldn't walk. <laughs> Whoa, that was a good one. That was a good that one. Was Come on. Good. That was Because he good. missed the walk? He couldn't walk. Oh. You guys have a talent for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so why is it? What was the uh, to prove he wasn't a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, that. I like that answer. That's awesome. Why do watermelons... Have extravagant weddings. Watermelons have extravagant weddings because Ooh. they speak Gaelic. Oh, <laughs> Gaelic, get it? They speak yeah, yeah, Gaelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Galas, weddings, yeah, extravagance. Yeah. yeah, I get, I get that. I guess I got nothing there. <laughs> nothing. Uh, the because um, they are planting pop- seeds for the future. Oh no, because no. there's something to do with party. Something to do with. Wedding Why wed- ring, 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 ring. Something to do with a ring. No, nope. no. Nope. Okay, go ahead. Because they can't elope. <laughs> oh. That was pretty good. Wow. That was pretty good. Why? I couldn't elope either. My dad had the keys. <laughs> <laughs> Why does yogurt love museums? Why do yogurt love museums? Because they're cultured. Yeah. Yes. Three zero, fellas. You guys are you're killing us. Seems like a pretty insurmountable lead in this yeah. game. Oh my god. Why can't you trust tacos? Uh, something to do with the bank. <laughs> uh, tacos, tacos. Um, Taco. Because they uh, sleep with burritos. <laughs> <laughs> No, something to do with salsa, probably. <laughs> okay. Because they tend to spill their beans. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I know Terry's going to get this one. Oh, yeah? Why did the veggie band sound bad live? Live? Because oh, they were in the can. Something to do with the can. <laughs> Frozen. Can. Let me think. They're live, Terry. They're live. I know. I know. Live. Live. Uh, why did the veggies, veggie band sound uh, Bad lives. Okay, go go ahead. They were missing a beat. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, I think we have time for one more before I before I lose it. Before I cry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are coffee beans like naughty kids? I should know this one. I yes, know. you yes. should. Iti. I think this uh, is in your wheelhouse. They keep you up all night. 
Because <laughs> well, that's pretty good right there. Yeah. Uh, because uh, they they get roasted, they get ground. Because they get grounded. Because they're always getting grounded. Uh, yes, Mr. Yeah. Okay, I, let's give credit to the game that we're playing here. This is Avo Giggles Foodie Jokes. Everybody needs to have these at their table. Avo yeah. Giggles It makes you get jokes. along with your relatives. Exactly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Uh, I think you're the one that needs to re- play that game. <laughs> if you want to be part of our show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio. You're listening to Hot Stove on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden. Our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And also remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.